Welcome to the Data Scientist Podcast with Dr. Stylianos Kabakis. Dr. Kabakis is a data scientist, statistician, and blockchain expert with a mission to educate the public about the wonderful capabilities of technologies like AI, data science, and DLTs. These technologies have the potential to transform the world, the economy, and our lives. However, there is too much misinformation around tech, and so most people are just confused about what is true and what is not. Whether you are a CEO, an entrepreneur, or just an enthusiast, the Data Scientist Podcast helps you separate reality from hype. Hi, everyone. This is Telios from the Data Scientist, and I'm very happy to have here with us today Sean Moller, calling from New Zealand. Sean, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So your listeners are going to go, oh, that's not a New Zealand accent. I'm originally from America, but I've been in New Zealand since 2013. A little bit of my background. I'm a hardcore technologist. I think we were chatting about that earlier. For about 22 years, I did network engineering and network architecture, built some of the largest networks, largest data center networks in the world. For the last probably seven, eight years, I've been doing cloud architecture and then for about the last six years, I've been doing enterprise architecture, focusing on emerging technologies, innovative technologies, design thinking around those technologies and how enterprises can adopt them, which led me to where I am today, which is I'm running the AI ML practice for Servian, a cognizant company in New Zealand, and specifically around the enterprise adoption of AI functions and machine learning models. Perfect. And what's your opinion of the current state of AI adoption in the enterprise sector? In the enterprise, I think it's very, very early days. I think it's almost nascent. The reality is, is that we're seeing in the top 1% of companies, we're seeing systemic enterprise-wide adoption of AI. So that's Google, British Petroleum, you know, Amazon, Netflix, those companies where they're at the top 1% of the world are, you know, systemic enterprise wide. Everything below that is business units are doing it in pockets. Some of them very successfully, by the way, some of them are doing it across their organization within their business unit. But the widest that we're seeing is proof of concepts. And the scary thing is, is that at the enterprise level, we're seeing just slightly less than 80% of those never make it out of proof of concept. Now, the interesting thing is, is it's not because the machine learning proof of concept fails. Actually, most of them are successful. Some of the numbers that I've seen coming out of like Australia and Singapore and elsewhere in Asia PAC is, is that 60 to 70% of the time, the proof of concept is fully successful and it has realized business value. The problem is, is the enterprises don't know how to adopt it into production. Many of these proof of concepts are developed and built using Excel spreadsheets as data entry. There's no data pipeline to feed the machine learning model. There's no way to monitor the machine learning model. They have no way to test and validate from a enterprise adoption level how to do it. And that stops them from getting into production. So I really think at the enterprise level, that's the current state. I think some of the SMBs are doing it a little bit better because they're a little bit more nimble and the startups are where it's really accelerating. So I'm starting to see startup companies that are taking aim at some of these larger enterprise companies because they don't have the legacy enterprise footprints that these large enterprises have. And so they can bake AIML into their processes and the way they work from day one. And because these enterprise organizations don't know how to do that, they're being disrupted. And 
the problems you mentioned earlier about enterprise adoption of AI, what do you think there? As in, okay, so it's clear that, so you're saying that business units, maybe because they're more flexible and leaner, they can sometimes use AI, apply AI, et cetera. But you're saying with the enterprise level, you start with a proof of concept and then somehow things fall apart and... It sounds as if like this lack of ownership, lack of understanding. So, so it's, well, it's even worse because these business units that are baking this into what they're doing, they're doing it by going around the enterprise strategy and around the enterprise controls. So there's a great lack of fluency or understanding of what AIML can do and how difficult it is at the executive level. So the strategic value of AIML for organizations is not really understood. The outcomes and values aren't known and the difficulty to get to those outcomes and values aren't known. You get down to the business leader, like the individual business unit leaders, and they are starting to build that fluency. And so they do have an understanding of what they can get from AIML. But when they go to talk to the enterprise IT departments and they go, okay, so we hired this startup who's built us this machine learning model that tells us that we're going to sell X number of widgets every week and we can just plug it in and every week we can ask it the question and it tells us next week how many widgets we're going to sell. This is a great product. It gives us this really good business outcome. We could start predicting week on week. If we get you know a year's worth of data, we can actually predict year on year and we know how to hire people. It's awesome. Here it is running on this laptop. The IT department looks at it and goes, I don't know what to do with that. It's not part of a software package. Okay, we can run it in you know, a virtual machine someplace, but how do you feed it data? How do I monitor it? When the model begins to drift and skew, the IT department doesn't even have a concept of what that means. For them, a piece of software goes into production, and unless they hit a bug, they never touch that software again. But as you and I know, a machine learning model over time is going to skew and drift because of the data that's fed into it. They don't have any tools for monitoring that. To make it worse, the machine learning model code itself has code and statements in it that may actually be calling libraries from the internet. And the IT department has no way to validate the security or the quality assurance around that code. And then of course you have the fact that the data scientists, God bless their hearts, God bless their little hearts with their Birkenstocks and they're coming out of university with their <laughs> suspenders on and everything. So when I started in IT in 95, right, the guys that were the bleeding edge technologists were the Linux and Unix guys, right? The guys would come into work, the lights in their office were always turned off. They always wore suspenders. They wore Birkenstocks with socks on. I used to work with a guy who came out of Bell Labs. That's where I'm talking about. Now, Linux is just the regular server guy. He's just the standard server guy. But the, what's happened is, is the data scientists coming out of university, now they look like that. and they don't understand software practices. We've learned really hard lessons over the last 20 years about good software practices. The data scientists, they don't want to be software developers. They just want to code a bunch of stuff and get a machine learning model running and then feed it data and watch it work. And so what happens is when we start doing quality assessment across these machine learning models, we find that this is my favorite. Data scientists use the same variable for everything through their entire model. They just rewrite the variable over and over and over again. Every time they need a new variable, they use the same exact variable and they just rewrite the variable, which is very bad software practices, especially when you start looking at quality assurance in the way that bugs at the software level happen. So because the IT departments don't have a way to handle all of this, 
it stops them from following the process to get in. And so what happens is these business units, they're just consuming these models and they install the model on and everybody's laptops in the business unit and they just use the model to get the business outcome. But it's not sustainable and eventually it'll break and they can't go to the IT department to get it fixed. And more than likely the startup company that built the original model for them as a proof of concept has either been acquired by somebody or is shut down and they can't go back to them. And the data analytics team, which handles data science within the larger enterprise, they've never seen this model before. They have no idea how the features were identified. They have no idea you know, how the structure of the model and why the choices were made. And they can't sustain it, they can't maintain it. So that's when I say that there are pockets within businesses that are doing it successfully, they're doing it by bypassing the rest of the enterprise. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think it makes perfect sense because there are also all these other issues involved like data engineering and yeah. understand how you know everything fits together, like different moving parts. And that's 100% you know, understandable in the sense that big enterprises that have all this technical data and they can just restructure everything. Oh yeah. Yeah, to make oh, yeah. right. Yeah, you're talking to a large enterprise and their ERP system may be running on an AS400 in DB2. Well, how am I going to plug that into a machine learning model? Well, the way we do it today is we do an export from the DB2 database to a CSV and then we FTP that CSV manually off of it into some cloud bucket someplace. But that's not a proper data pipeline. I can't do proper data pre-processing. I can, I can bolt DBT onto the outside of it and I can there are some things I can do to clean it up afterwards, but it's a very kludgy way of getting data into a machine learning model to get those outcomes. Yeah, yeah. And how many years do you think it will take until we see more widespread AI adoption? I think the next three to five years are going to be a renaissance in AI ML. I think what we're seeing now is, is that large executive teams within large enterprises are looking at companies like Google, AWS, and they're saying, oh, okay. Now, it's not just lip service. If we go back 10 years, right, everybody was cloud first. That was their strategy. They had this cloud first strategy. Only they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know which cloud they were going into. They had no architecture. They had no plan. They didn't know how to implement what they're doing. That's where we're at with AIML. They have the cloud strategy. They may have had it for one or two years, but they don't know how to implement it yet. I think what we're going to start seeing is, especially with SaaS providers that help with this and the consulting arms that are coming in out of IBM and Kendrill and PwC and Deloitte and EY and Cognizant are coming in and helping these large enterprises figure out how to do this and how to do it right. And so the next three to five years is going to be the litmus test. And the companies that do this at a systemic level are going to eat all of the companies that don't. That's my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Yeah, this makes sense. And how do you find these companies are helping at the price adoption? Do you think it's, I don't know, do they walk in as consultants? Is it about educating the leaders? Is it about, I don't know, providing the people with the expertise over a one-year contract? I mean, what's the process really? You know, because a company might say, oh, I'm just going to hire five data scientists and they'll do it for me. Well, apparently, this is not working very no. well for the enterprise sector. No, it, yeah, no, no, it's really not. Okay, so I have an opinion about this, but my opinion is... So understand, I've been in New Zealand since 2013. I have been dealing with multinationals and large companies, but I have been here in New Zealand. So my opinion doesn't hold as much weight as I think as it does the adoption of AIML. But my opinion is, is that most of the organizations that are coming in and consulting are focusing on technology adoption. In other words, 
they're advising is, is that, oh, okay, you want to do AI, you need to implement AWS SageMaker, or you need to implement, you know, Google Vertex AI, or you need to implement, you know, cognitive services in Azure. The focus at the consultant level for the vast majority right now is going to be, here's the technology that's going to give you the outcome. I think that very few, very minor are actually going in and helping the organizations understand what AIML really is at an executive level and what they can get out of it so that they can start asking questions. And I think the companies that get this right are going to be in a substantially better position because I was just having a conversation with an executive today and he said, well, I just need a Google inside my company that I can type questions into that's AI driven, that gives me answers. And I said, it's slightly more than that. You need to understand what questions you need to be asking. And they're not the questions that you've been asking up to now. They're fundamentally questions that maybe 40 years ago, you would call up an accountant or you would call up you know, a business consultant and say, hey, can you go away for nine months and write me up a report that tells me something? And those are the types of questions you need to be asking. And the executives don't know that they need to be asking that question right now. Now, they'll learn that, but the ones that learn it sooner are going to go farther and be more successful. And I think that that's lacking right now in some of the AIML consulting that's coming in. I think they're really focusing on a technology adoption and not focusing on how AIML can become a strategic transformational enabler across the entire business. <laughs> I see what you mean. And you know, this question was coming. What about blockchain? Because it's another password. <laughs> oh, blockchain. So you and I were talking just before we started the podcast, and I said that I thought that, in my opinion, AIML is probably the most transformative piece of technology for business in the last hundred years. I think it trumps everything else that's happened for transforming how we operate and how we live and how we do business. Blockchain has and distributed ledgers have some very, very interesting use cases. And set aside the open financial organizations, you know, the cryptocurrency, let's set those aside for a second because there's an entire, you know, distributed financing thing that is an entirely different conversation. But blockchain as a technology has some really interesting use cases. But I don't think currently it's set to really disrupt businesses across the world. Now, that will change. If we get to a point where blockchain becomes as ubiquitous as internet protocol and every piece of software or every piece of transaction, every contract. So if you made blockchain as ubiquitous as contracts so that every contract was stored on a blockchain. And so you didn't have to have like these massive contracts with all these legal terms in them because you had a blockchain that was an open distributed ledger that people could see it would begin to change that aspect. But it's going to be that thing that's baked into the background more so than changing the way businesses operate, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. I guess uh, blockchain is where AI and data science were maybe 10, 15 years ago. I don't know what's your impression on that. Yes, I think you're right. I think so blockchain is, like I said, there are some very good use cases shipping use cases. IBM has been very successful selling blockchain as a, you know, a shipping tracker tool to accelerate moving through shipments. Very good use case. There's some interesting ones. I wrote a paper for the New Zealand government on 
how blockchain locked evidence could be used in a courtroom to verify the validity and the untampered state of evidence. Very good use case. Identity is a brilliant use case for blockchain. But I think we're still trying to understand that. And the magic moment for AIML was cloud. When cloud allowed you to do experiments with AIML is when AIML took off. And I think we're not quite there with blockchain yet. It's still too difficult to stand up a distributed ledger, a useful distributed ledger in a cloud environment as a service. And by the way, AWS has one, Azure has one. I'm sure GCP has to have one. I haven't looked for it, but it's still too difficult to stand it up and use it just as a service. When that comes, I think we will see a differentiator within distributed ledgers and blockchain. Now there is another piece of technology out there that I think potentially could be even a greater change than AIML. And I know that this is outside of the area of this podcast, but quantum computing, again, is even farther back. So quantum computing is probably where cloud was in the late 90s, early 2000s, as far as what we can do with it. But the potential there, the hype that's there, if it delivers any percentage of what the hype is, it will fundamentally change everything going forward. And do you think, like, this is very interesting what you said, because I think quantum computing is still so early, you know? Very I'm early. Sure. Yeah, I've not looked into it that seriously, to be honest with you. I'm not sure. No, no. And, yeah. Well, and it's interesting. My recommendation is we don't need to talk about quantum computing. We'll go down a rabbit hole if we do that. But my recommendation to boards and to executive leadership teams is just be aware of quantum computing. Because there are companies like Chase that are already investing in it because they know that if they can make it work, they can get answers to questions they've never been able to ask before. So it's more of an awareness state right now. I wouldn't recommend any spending any money or any development or even trying, unless you're a you know multi-billion dollar company like Chase that thinks it can get some value out of it, I wouldn't even recommend going down the path. But you need to be aware of it because there's going to come a time in the next five to 10 years, notice AIML in three to five years, quantum computing in the next five to 10 years, when it's going to start becoming a reality. And for companies, it'll be a game changer. I mean, quantum computing is going to be a singularity level technology if it works the way oh, oh, people would like exactly. it to work, right? Oh, exactly. And it's funny, I did a podcast, I think about a year and a half ago, and somebody asked me this question. And... The question was, what does quantum computing and AI look like? So today, with the most computing power we can do, an AI-driven chatbot is still a difficult conversation. It doesn't feel natural. You ask a question, the AI has to go look up the answer, come back, you know, change it from text into voice, give you the answer back. Quantum computing changes that. You would have an audio conversation with a quantum computer back to AI, and you wouldn't know it was an AI. Yeah. And I think there are also many interesting questions around cryptography and what's going to mean for blockchain. I hear that oh, yes. different word being thrown out a lot. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, yes. Well, it breaks security. Well, so one of the things I talked with a technology guy that works in the trading industry, and he said, assuming you could write the question, and that we get into deep math when we start doing this, but if you could ask the question, quantum computing could actually do predictions for trading that we can't even do with you know deep, deep neural networks. So fundamentally, there's potential there in the technology. But today, if companies aren't already going down an AIML track, if they're not beginning to adopt it, if they're not thinking about 
enterprise strategic direction about where they want to be. Because AIML is going to change their entire business. Everything about it, HR, yes. finance, decision-making, sales, product development. AIML is going to fundamentally change every part of their businesses in the next three to five years. Yes, yes. No, I think that's 100% correct. But like emerging tech, right? The thing. Yeah. They're supposed to be disruptive, but then we go back to the beginning of the conversation, like adoption and whether oh, yeah. enterprises really get it, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I play around the fringe on those emerging technologies, AR, VR, you know, digital humans, around the edges, and there are use cases for each one of them. And they're interesting use cases, but they're not business level transformative use cases. And so it's really interesting at the enterprise level to get that business level transformation from AIML. The organization has to fundamentally understand how they're going to go down this path and then do it. There's a company here in New Zealand who has decided that they're actually a data company. Now, they work within the insurance space, but what they've decided is they're not an insurance company, they're a data company. And they have decided that they are going to transform their entire business using AI and ML to be a data-driven decision company and then they're going to sell data-driven decisions to their clients and customers. And they're going to totally disrupt the entire insurance market in this region. Data-driven is key, right? And I think insurance yeah. is one of those industries which might be a bit archaic in certain aspects. So I think it's right for disruption. I've noticed this in London as well, yeah. and in the UK, and I guess it's the same everywhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, so many industries. Well, you you talk to the insurance company, the actuarial guys are like, yeah, we've been doing machine learning for years. And so from an actuarial perspective, from a statistical estimation about whether or not someone's going to have an accident or whether you know somebody's house is going to burn down or something, machine learning totally makes sense. And it's a little bit different when you take a look at a company and you say, okay, now we're going to be data-driven across the entire company. Then it becomes, oh, okay, I'm getting a call from somebody that person has a whole bunch of predictive analytics that go around him. I'm feeding that predictive analytics to the customer service agent. The customer service agents being evaluated as part of that conversation and the feedback is given back to them to make them even better at what they're doing with the client. That's enterprise-wide systemic use of AIML to get the best outcomes for the business. It's transformational. Yes, yes. I completely agree with you. And I think I would be talking for you know, like 20 minutes or so. Any closing remarks before we go? Like, where can people learn more about you and your opinions on AI and emerging technology? Like LinkedIn, do you have a blog? Oh, yeah. No, no. So absolutely. So I'm on all the social media platforms. Sean G. Muller. You can just search for me. S-E-A-N-G-M-U-L-L-E-R. LinkedIn, Twitter. We'll date this podcast and you can decide if you want to cut this out or not. But I just read an article that Twitter, the purchase by Elon Musk is now on hold because the I read this <laughs> as well, yeah. Yeah, Twitter bots. So yeah. you can decide to cut that out if you want. But yeah, yeah. So I'm on Twitter, Facebook, pretty much every social media. And technically I'm on Instagram and Pinterest, but I don't know that I post much there. I don't have pictures to post. But they can reach out to me at Serbian. So Sean.muller at Servian.com or reach out to me on LinkedIn. I do a lot of work in Asia PAC, but I also do some consulting work in the United States and Europe, and I'm always open to have conversations. So thank you very much for having me on. I really enjoyed our discussion. Yeah, thank you, Sean. No, it was a great discussion. 
And thanks for staying up later in the evening to have this conversation with me. And I'm sure that everyone who's listening now, they, they enjoyed this. So thanks everyone. Thanks for sticking with us. Make sure to check out datascientist.com for more content on AI, data science and blockchain. And we hope to see you again in some other of our podcasts. Thanks everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening. Make sure to visit thedatascientist.com for more content about data science, AI, and blockchain.